preaching this morning is from Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Judge not that you not be judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Let's pray. Loving and gracious Father, it is our desire this morning to humble ourselves in your presence. You are sovereign and you are good. And in your goodness, you desire to care for us. With the changing seasons of our lives, we have ever-changing material needs. But you are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And you know how to meet every one of those needs. And so we lay them before you in the quiets of our heart. Father, you desire to be in relationship with us, and you desire that we be in relationship with each other, and so you forgive us of our sins, and you encourage us, you call us to forgive each other, and we take a moment to confess those before you right now. Father, you care for our spiritual needs. You desire for us to walk in righteousness. And so we thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you that you are always calling us deeper and deeper into that relationship with you. And so Lord, we desire to seek your truth. And we pray for spirits of discernment ability to walk with you, to know your scripture, and to respond to those promptings of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we pray too this morning, Lord, for the courage and the strength to sometimes walk away. Mm. Lord, we thank you for the way you've walked alongside Cami over the last couple of days and weeks as she's prepared this message today. We pray, Lord, that you'd now prepare our hearts to remove the distractions, to teach us exactly what you want us to know. We thank you that you love us. We thank you for your grace. It's for Jesus' sake that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, David. Good morning, church. 
As always, it is a joy to be with you this morning. For those of you who are in-house today, I bet you noticed a few things different around our campus this morning. Uh, There are a few trees that are gone, and this is a mixed bag for sure. I will confess that when I saw them down, I teared up. There is just something about an old, beautiful tree having to come down that is sad. But that being said, um, you know, they really did have to go. There were several of them that were dead. And so before they fell on a building and did a lot more damage than we would have liked, uh, we wanted to get them down. There are also several that, you know, their roots were totally threatening foundations and driveways and sidewalks. And so the building and grounds team were 100% in agreement that in order to best care what God has, to care for what God has entrusted to us, they had to go. So um, they have been working so super hard. So thank you to every single one of them, to Marcy who leads them so so fearlessly. Uh, Yes, you can thank them. Um, By the way, if you like fires and you have an outdoor burning stove, something like that, uh, you can come get wood as much as you want. However, there are a few pieces that are marked with, I think, white spray paint. Is that right? Don't take them. But all the rest is free for the taking, so first come, first serve. Um, But anyway, all right, let's get to it. Um, As has been the case for the past several months, we are continuing our journey through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount And today's text is actually just one verse, but I thought it was really important for it to be read within its immediate context, which is why David also read the verses that he preached on last week. Speaking of which, if you were with us last week, either here or online, you're probably still recovering from uh, the conviction that cut right to the heart. Jesus was very clear, very direct do not judge. But it's not that we're to never judge between what's right and wrong. We most certainly are. But what we learned last week is that what Jesus meant is that we are not to condemn others with our judgment. So how do we know if we're guilty of that? Well, we can ask ourselves, do I have a self-righteous spirit Do I have a sense of superiority, convinced that I am never wrong? Am I censorious in my judgment? Do I respond with harsh and derogatory attitudes, words, or pronouncements? Am I hypercritical? Do I, like, delight in finding and pointing out the faults in others? Am I ignorant of all the facts Do I jump to hasty conclusions without taking the time to discern what is true? And fifth, am I prone to ad hominem, which is attacking or hating the person rather than the behavior? If we're all to be brutally honest, we can find ourselves in at least one of those five propensities, but... Where and when we judge in any of those ways, we had better expect and welcome the exact same kind of judgment directed our way, right? That's what Jesus said. He commanded us not to judge in any of those ways, but he also told us what we are to do when we judge. 
We need to deal with our own sin before we ever begin to try to help someone else with theirs. And we must do it with humility and grace and love, recognizing that we are all on this road of sanctification. None of us will arrive until we see Jesus face to face where we will all face the ultimate judgment, either to eternal life with God or eternal death apart from him. So as Christ followers, we are absolutely called to discern rightly what is happening in and around us and then to respond appropriately. That's what it means to judge. First, we discern, we perceive and recognize and distinguish truth. And then we must respond, which again brings us to our verse for this morning. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. So did anyone else see that verse coming? I mean, it's kind of surprising, I think. First of all, it seems like a fairly abrupt shift in thought. But second, it also seems kind of harsh, doesn't it? I mean, it seems a little bit judgmental to think of someone as a dog or a pig. Honestly, by this point, we should be getting pretty used to Jesus' over-the-top language to really drive home his point. And before we really can figure out the point that Jesus is trying to drive home, it's important that we define a few of those words or ideas that leave us a bit unnerved. So who are the metaphorical dogs? Who are the pigs? And what are the holy things or the pearls that Jesus says we're not supposed to give to either of them? Well, let's answer those questions in reverse order. In the simplest and most straightforward of explanations, what is holy and your pearls refer to the same thing. And that is objective and absolute truth. In other words, all that the gospel of the kingdom of God encompasses, the objective and absolute truth of who God is, the creator and sustainer of the universe, the truth of our rebellion and our sin against him, the truth of who Jesus is and what he came to accomplish on our behalf, and the truth of the implications of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection in all of life for every single one of us. The gospel of the kingdom of God encompasses all those things, everything we find in his word. Truth. Truth that is beyond measure in its value and its worth, in its beauty and power and goodness. Truth that is absolute. So in the words that we're looking at this morning, do not give dogs the beautiful, inestimable, invaluable truths of the gospel of the kingdom of God. 
And do not throw the immeasurable, incomparable truths of the kingdom of God before pigs, lest they trample it underfoot and turn to attack you. So at this point, if you're at all invested in and committed to fulfilling the great commission that we find at the end of Matthew's gospel in chapter 28, to go and make disciples of all nations, then you probably feel at least a little bit of internal conflict here. I mean, aren't we supposed to go and share the amazingly good news of the gospel of the kingdom of heaven with everyone? Well, not necessarily. And that's why we have got to be discerning. We've got to be clear on who Jesus is talking about when he refers to dogs and pigs. So in first century Palestine, both dogs and pigs were particularly repulsive to Jews. Pigs were unclean and therefore avoided in every way, shape, and form. It would have been unthinkable to give them something as valuable as pearls. As pigs do, they would immediately want to eat them, right? And when, once they realized they weren't able to, they would spit them out as if they were worthless, and they would trample them all through the mud and sludge of their pen. We don't need to be first century Jews to understand that it would be senseless to throw your pearls before pigs. Likewise, dogs, a derisive term often used for Gentiles, they were thought to be wild and dangerous scavengers. You would never dream of getting close enough to feed them consecrated food or that which is holy. If you did, they would devour it for sure, but then they would likely turn on you if you didn't keep getting, giving them more of what they wanted. So the disciples listening that day would have been thinking, most likely, that Jesus was referring to unclean, unbelieving Gentiles. But that seems very unlikely, especially knowing what we now know from the rest of the New Testament that Jesus was teaching his disciples to not share the good news with the Gentiles. Quite frankly, we know all the way back from Genesis 12 that God has always intended to bless the whole earth through Abraham, all nations, Jew and Gentile alike. And again, we know from the Great Commission at the very end of the book of Matthew, that Jesus very much intends for the pearl of the gospel to go to all nations, which includes Gentiles. So if not the Gentiles, then dogs and pigs must refer to another group of people. Well, that's a conundrum. Because clearly the, the Jews didn't think of themselves as dogs or pigs. And we just decided that Jesus definitely didn't mean that all Gentiles were dogs and pigs. But as far as Jews were concerned, those were the only one, those were the only two options back in the day, right? You were either a Jew 
or you or everybody else, the Gentiles. So who on earth was Jesus talking about? Well, this is another example why context is so important. The warning in verse 6 that we have this morning balances the warning that Jesus gave in the previous five verses that we read, which David preached on last week. It guards against our tendency to oversimplify or misapply the do not judge statement by instructing us to be very careful and very discerning about the character of anyone with whom we may share the precious truths of the gospel. In other words, this verse applies to everyone, both Jews and Gentiles, who are blatantly unreceptive to the gospel or even aggressive enemies of the truth. I love how John Stott puts it. He said, they are an exceptional group of stubborn people who are dogged and even pig-headed, one might accurately say, in their decisive rejection of truth. Reluctantly, we have to drop them. So we see Jesus speak to this a bit more a few chapters later in Matthew's gospel when he sends out the 12 disciples to the lost sheep of Israel, other Jews, to preach and heal and cast out demons. As he does, these were his specific instructions to them. He said, whatever town or village, excuse me, you enter, Search for some worthy person there and stay at his house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that home or town. I tell you the truth, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. So in his instructions to them, then, and in our verse for this morning, Jesus was teaching his disciples to use discernment when sharing the truth with others. Why? Because truth is precious. The gospel is beautiful. And we are not to toss it about carelessly or thoughtlessly. We're not to waste or trifle with it by casting it before those who are clearly not receptive and who only treat it with contempt. Not only that, but by persistently trying to make your point, maybe even going so far as to push your convictions on someone, it could potentially destroy a relationship that might prove fruitful down the road. It could even, within the climate of ever-growing persecution, result in very real harm to you. It's foolishness to give what is holy 
to snarling, mocking haters of truth and righteousness, or to throw your pearls before disrespectful or crass individuals, all of whom are incapable of appreciating the priceless jewel of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is not just foolish, though. Jesus says it's wrong. He says simply and matter-of-factly, don't do it. It's helpful and informative, I think, to see this principle demonstrated in Paul's life and ministry throughout the book of Acts. So one example is when Paul and Barnabas were in Pisidian Antioch. It says in Acts chapter 13 that many of the Jews there were filled with jealousy and talked abusively against what Paul was saying. So Paul and Barnabas responded by, they judged, right? And then they responded by saying, we had to speak the word of God to you first since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life we now turn to the Gentiles. So notice that Paul and Barnabas weren't the ones who considered their listeners as unworthy dogs or pigs. It was the people's own resistance to and rejection of the truth of the gospel that was evidence enough to both Paul and Barnabas that it would be wrong to continue to jeopardize themselves and allow the word of God to be so disregarded. As a matter of fact, when they went to then, then to the Gentiles, it says just a couple of verses later that the Gentiles were glad and honored the word of the Lord and all who were appointed to eternal life believed. Paul and Barnabas knew that they had been entrusted with the infinitely valuable message of the gospel of the kingdom of God. And when they saw that the Jews in Antioch had no interest in it, they had to make a judgment call. And then they had to respond appropriately. And they did. They didn't force it. They didn't argue. They certainly didn't condemn them. They simply shook the dust off their feet and they moved on. Later on in his ministry, Paul went to Corinth and it says that he devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own head. I am clear of my responsibility. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Again, I want to draw attention to the fact that it was not Paul who considered certain people or groups of people as dogs and pigs and therefore unworthy of the gospel. Not at all. Remember, we learned last Sunday that Jesus warned us about going around making censorious or ad hominem judgments about people's character or worth. We are never called to do that. What we are commanded to do 
is to be discerning and then respond appropriately. If when we graciously, lovingly, humbly, and obediently go to people and we bring them the truth of God's word and they, with their own behavior, oppose or even abuse us, then as Paul said, that's on them. We've done what was ours to do and then we move on. So we've already talked about how the gospel itself, the the truth of the gospel, could be trampled underfoot by being twisted or mocked or trifled with. We're commanded to guard against that. And usually we think about that in light of the people with whom we're sharing it, right? Like how they might twist and, and use it against us. But have you ever noticed that sometimes when you want so badly to convince someone, to help them see what is only good for them, that you maybe soften the truth a little bit? I mean, you know, maybe you round off a corner here or there to make it a bit less potentially offensive or challenging. I mean, you know, you you don't want to seem too radical. You've got a reputation to protect. We have got to see how dangerous that is. That's what's called a slippery slope. And we must not allow for that to happen. It is dangerous to our own souls, our own faith, if we just keep exposing ourselves to that temptation. Even if we have the right intentions, our own hearts and our own understanding of and obedience to what is true may be compromised. And so with this command, Jesus isn't just guarding the infinite beauty of the gospel. He's guarding and protecting us. So now for the especially hard part. How do we really know? How and when do we make that call? Well, it comes down to recognizing the difference between disinterest or indifference of those that we're going to versus outright hostility and rejection. So I have cried, actually, many tears while writing this message. I have a friend I've known for years She's not a believer, and we are about as different as you can possibly get on every level. Somehow, we like each other. (laughs) We both laughed about that often, actually. Uh, I have prayed for her. I have shared the gospel with her in many ways and various times all throughout our relationship. But I have noticed that she is becoming more and more vocally outspoken, aggressive and mocking toward all things Christianity. Her heart is so closed and hard. And so I've had to come to terms with the fact that it's time for me to shake the dust off my feet and move on. That's not to say that I won't be on the lookout, maybe for her heart softening sometime, in the future, Um, but until then, 
she has made it clear that she is simply trampling Jesus and the pearl of Christianity underfoot. Jesus is worth so much more than that. And so in obedience to him, to cherish the gospel and to guard myself, I will no longer cast it before her. But in my own experience, there's actually been something even harder for me to work and walk through. In these past weeks, I've also cried many tears over two people who profess Christ and who Jody and I love, who have hurt us very deeply and who have persisted in an unwillingness to own their own sin and to choose humble repentance. And so time and time again, we have been figuratively bruised and beaten, trying to reason with them on the foundation of God's word. But it's been proven to be nothing but damaging and unfruitful. It seems like every time we try to come to them with what we believe the scriptures clearly teach us, they simply turn around and attack us. We've done it with an eye and a heart toward simply wanting to love them and to have a good relationship with them. But ultimately, I believe that we have been disobedient to this verse. And that's hard to swallow. And I won't lie, it feels unloving. It feels wrong to walk away. But we're not called to live by what we feel, by what we think is wise. We're called to obey the Lord no matter what. So we have decided that we will no longer give them an opportunity to twist and misuse God's word. It is far too valuable and precious for that. We have made the very difficult and painful decision to distance ourselves from them I imagine that even that will be twisted around and used against us, but it's something we must do if we want to be obedient to Jesus here. And by God's grace, as we continue to pray for and love them from a distance, we will also guard our own hearts from being unreceptive to the truth that we need to be continually confronted with, with regard to our own sin and need for humble repentance. So how do you know when? How do you know who? It's really hard. But first, make no mistake, you must be in a living, daily, intimate relationship with Jesus, filled with the power of his Holy Spirit to be able to receive and obey anything that we've learned in the Sermon on the Mount, let alone this one little verse. And then day after day, you get on your face before God. By grace, you choose humility over and over again. You ask God to break your heart with your own sin and pride, and then you repent and you remove all the logs from your own eyes. You ask him to fill you to overflowing with grace and love toward all those around you. You pray for discernment and wisdom to judge rightly and then to respond appropriately. And then you pray 
for the courage to follow through on what he says. If you have to walk away, you walk away. It won't be easy. It's not popular. But Jesus is worthy of our trust and obedience here and always. So do you see how this verse is meant to be a warning on one end of the spectrum, as it were, balancing out Jesus' previous warning on the other end? One author said it well, that Jesus' disciples should be neither censorious inquisitors, you know, that's the warning in verses 1 through 5, nor are we to be naive simpletons. And that's the warning we get in verse 6. Being careful and discerning with regard to who and how we share the truths of the gospel of the kingdom of God is an incredibly important principle for us as we think about reaching the lost and relating to and loving one another. Would you pray with me? Lord God, this is a hard teaching indeed. In response, we're following after another hard teaching about not judging. We need your help. So Holy Spirit, our, our prayer this morning is that you would indeed lead us into truth and righteousness. Would you help us to understand your word in order that we might rightly judge and then respond appropriately. And whether that means humbly going to our brother and sister with a, a cloth that we've used to wash away our own sin and then just offering it to them, saying, hey, I, I know what it's like. Here, let, let me maybe help with that because I know I need help. Or whether it means that we have to walk away. Lord, I pray that we would do it all with our eyes on Jesus, with a desire to honor and glorify him in all that we do. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So for our response time, we're simply going to leave that one verse up on the screen. And so as you consider what Jesus is commanding us here, uh, I, I want to encourage you to take some time and ask the Holy Spirit if there is anyone, a person or a group of people, that perhaps he is saying it's time to shake the dust off your feet and move on. Is Jesus wise? Is he good? Is he worthy of our trust and obedience even when it's hard? He is. Is the gospel beautiful? and precious enough to be guarded and cherished no matter the cost, it is. Friends, he is worthy. Ask him for the courage to obey.